So we've been in this season of focusing on the table, and I would like to bring a focus right now of, once again, reading the primary portion of Scripture that we're focusing on, <clears throat> and read it in a way that is engaging to what God is revealing, not what I have so commonly done in times past and takes place so often in the church world that we know, and that's we read verses of Scripture with a little less um, depth of pursuit to point to an idea that we're going to tell stories about and preach around. But the power is actually not in the story and analogy. I think stories and analogies have their place when we're speaking, but we have to have an attitude of faith that understands the power is not in the story and analogy. How I many know the power is in the Word of God? So this has been our focus of, of really coming to the table of the Lord and the way we break bread in the Word. And so even in our community groups that are um, focusing on the Sunday message, the approach we're taking even in those groups now becomes more of a Bible central emphasis, exploring and learning. Um, you don't need a man to teach you because you'll be taught by the anointing. <clears throat> You and your sons and daughters will be taught by God. I mean, those are beautiful promises in Scripture. And what does that mean? It means that we need to learn to put less focus on the human beings that exist in our life and more focus on the ultimate being, the deity, God, <clears throat> who wants to be our good shepherd, every one of us individually and all of us together. Nobody who stands on this platform is the master teacher. Just never to be the case. We all just want to explore and grow in what it means to be maybe an advanced learner. But he is the master, and he is the master teacher. So let's, let's incline our heart to him as we read these verses of Scripture from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. And listen to what the Lord may want to speak to you out of this. That's the whole point of coming to the table of the Lord. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I want you to stress these things. <clears throat> Today I want to stress these things. I want, to, I want us to focus in on what the Word of God says. I want you to stress these things. We want to devote ourselves to doing what is good. How many of you are good at making excuses for not doing something that you probably should do. Can I just see you're good at making excuses? Just hold them up there, look around. How many of you are great at making excuses? Like better than good, you're great. Like you're a master at this. I just want you to know I'm, I, I, 
I know I get up here and I tell you I got fussy with my wife and I'm great at making excuses and you wonder, like, why is this guy even our pastor? Uh, And the reality is God takes just a man, makes him a just man, but he's still just a man. And we kind of lost sight of that in the body of Christ in the world in which we live. We elevate people too much and we just think they should have it all together and we just don't. And it messes everybody up when we start thinking everybody should have it all together before they step into whatever and... uh, You know, I want to be transparent with people in my life who can look in on my life, ask me questions about areas of my life that really need help. Um, And and we're all on this journey. Aren't you glad we're all on a journey just trying to find our way? And the grace of God is right there with us, helping us every step of the way. I'm so deeply grateful for that. So Tracy could say to me, um, hey, you know, there are these things that need to be done around the house. And... um, when she says that to me, I mean, I just find in my mind, I'm not even necessarily thinking about it, but I find every reason why right now is just not the right time for that. Anybody here? And in fact, I, as I process those things that need to be done, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm really exhausted right now, so I'm going to go take a nap, and then uh, maybe when I get up, I can, you know, get a couple of those things done. But normally, Tracy's lists run, you know, pages and pages and pages long. And um, I just get in trouble with every Sunday I get up here. But, uh, but I, I'll go and lay down, and, and I'll, I'll think to myself, man, I'm just so tired. Because I'm thinking about things that I really do not want to do. But as soon as I lay down, I can get the text or the phone call. I mean, I'm exhausted. The phone call comes, hey, let's go play golf. Suddenly, I go from being utterly exhausted to being totally energized in just a flash of an eye. And then I have to formulate, how am I going to explain this to my wife? (laughs) Can anybody relate to this or is this just me? Here Here is the thing you have to understand. You are exhausted about what you are not passionate about, but you are energized about what you are passionate about. It is very simple. You are either passionate about it or you are not. And if you are not passionate about it, you are likely making excuses to excuse yourself and justify your behavior away from it. And that's why I want to talk to you today about the love your neighbor loophole. This is the love your neighbor loophole. It's revealed clearly in scripture and I want to really engage in this as we again reiterate the kindness of the Lord showed up in our lives, Titus chapter 3. It's amazing we were drawn into his grace entered into his kingdom, and I want to now stress these things, devote yourselves to doing good, because these are the things that are profitable. This is the context we're reading in Titus chapter 3. So the love your neighbor loophole is an interesting dynamic, and first we have to fully understand, I want to make sure we all understand, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You, you do understand that. Like, a, a fiery, fearful, 
You don't want to burn for all eternity sermon. Uh, I believe hell is real, and I believe it's in Scripture, and I think we need to examine and look at that. But I also realize the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, not the fear of going to hell. And so we've got to really evaluate why we're doing what we're doing, how we're saying what we're saying, what does the Bible say about all of this, and how do we walk this out? It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us us to repentance. Titus 3 points this out that we've just read very clearly. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 makes this undeniably clear. It says specifically, the kindness of the Lord will lead us to repentance. How many believe kindness has the power to change a person's behavior? I mean, it really does. Even the world, even people who don't know Jesus understand kindness is a weapon against hate. Because you've probably heard the phrase, it's a common phrase, kill them with kindness. In other words, even if they hate you, show them some kindness and use kindness as a weapon against their bad attitude. Don't, don't stoop to that bad attitude, but awaken something uh, more than that. And I, I think it's important that we understand and recognize kindness really captivates people's attention. Tracy said something to me yesterday, and it just caught my attention. <clears throat> She's worked... Uh, to volunteer with our Christian school and has helped with a, a curriculum with art to get the students really engaged in Scripture. And uh, we're providing Bibles for these students in the art class, and they do um, journaling in, in the Bible, and it's called Illustrated Faith. I sometimes get the words mixed up, but that's right. Um, and so Illustrated Faith, and they can draw pictures in the margins in their art class for the verses, and it's really this beautiful, beautiful expression. We've talked a lot about it as an emphasis of Turn the Page. But she was just mentioning something to me yesterday, and I thought it was really interesting, because Linda Potter worked in our Christian school for 33 years, uh, and that's some really good longevity. Lin Lin longevity. Linda is in the service, and I just want to honor you and say thank you, Linda, for your heart to serve these kids and this place the way you have. But Tracy just made the, the remark, and if you're a graduate of Destiny Christian School, then you would know you do not mess around in Linda Potter's class. How many of you know that's right? Can I get an amen? You do not mess around. And so the, the students know you don't mess around. I mean, she calls order. She jerks the slack out of the line. You can say it however you want, but those kids know you don't mess around in that class. But Tracy just made the point that when class starts, those kids are eager to get her attention and say, Ms. Potter, will you pray for this? Ms. Potter, would you pray for that? And she said, it struck me when I saw that happening so frequently, and it, mu it dawned on me that she must take their prayer request seriously and come back later and ask questions about how that situation is going. In other words, a simple act of kindness. It's wonderful to pray, but you understand kindness is what actually convinces them that, that the connection and the relationship is real. Kindness is such an important thing, and applying that in the way we walk this out as Christians. How many of you have ever met really hateful religious people? How many of you have ever been really hateful religious people? I mean, just in all honesty, I mean, we, it's so easy just to have these reactions, and the Lord wants to soften us, to deepen our response so that we get in this vein and this expression of kindness and love and compassion and consideration, just giving consideration to the people around us. And out of, 
out of that, there's legacy. And I started thinking about this because then it's Crystal, Linda's daughter, who's uh, spearheading our, our summer food program for the families. And we just concluded, as school started back, but families that get free and reduced lunches um, in the summertime, they may not have food for their children. So we as a church come together and we provide these. And, and uh, Crystal has done a great job just organizing all that. She and her team, which primarily is family, but others uh, connecting and involved. And a lot of people in the church have been really faithful giving. You've done a great, great job and a really generous church family that we live in. This is what is so beautiful. This is what is so beautiful. When we determine that we are going to bring our tithes and offering as an expression of worship to the Lord, it not only breaks a spirit of materialism off of us, but it financially empowers this church family to make a difference in our community and in various communities of the world. How many of you understand this is a plan that God set into motion that he purposefully has uh, determined that we as church, the church, would learn generous giving lives. That's part of the plan. I encourage you because we don't do, you know, buckets and that sort of thing. We have giving stations. You can give online. You can text give to uh, the number that pops up on the screen. And uh, we encourage you to explore this, but not because I'm trying to talk you out of your rent but because you have a heart to grow in understanding the generous nature of God. What does it mean to really worship the Lord by giving the first fruit of increase? Not what's left over, but the first fruit, really trusting God, growing in my faith. Do you really trust him? And as you begin to walk this out, something starts to transact in all of our lives. And Jesus brought these little simple tools and reiteration of these simple concepts in so many ways. And I just challenge you as we think about this today, the, the loopholes that we try to find in Scripture, uh, what if, what if the biggest, the solution to society's biggest issues, think about what that might be. What if the solution, I mean, everybody's got their determinations of what, how to solve the problems in society. How I many you know we have problems in society? And we can solve them depending on where you land politically. You've got political ideas. Uh, depending on where you land in other arenas, you've got other ideas. Well, you need to solve these problems. What if, what if the, the, the ultimate solution to solving society's greatest problems has actually been right under our noses for the past 2,000 years? But we've neglected to pay attention to something so very simple. And if, of course, I'm bringing us to the table of the Lord. When Jesus was asked to reduce everything in the Bible to one command, everything in the Bible to one command, he said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. What if when he said this, he actually meant we should love our neighbors? What if, imagine, Jesus is a genius. Jesus is a genius. When he is asked, pick the one commandment that's most important. He gives a practical plan that actually has the potential throughout all of the ages to change the entire world. Can it be this simple? We've put it on bumper stickers. We've worn it on T-shirts. 
We've voiced it, talked about it, but have we really engaged in truly loving our neighbors? By becoming a good neighbor, what happens, it's interesting, but if you just think about what it means to become a good neighbor, then you actually become more of the person who you're supposed to be by becoming a good neighbor. In fact, not only do you become more of a person that you're supposed to be, but as a result, our communities become the places God intended them to be from the very beginning. So this is just an amazing articulation of something that is so easily overlooked, especially in our fast-paced society that has grown so relationally distracted. I believe an invitation to biblical hospitality is one of the most compelling and irresistible aspects of Christianity. Could you just really digest where we are in this conversation. What's God saying in these moments that we have together? Not just hearing if I have a nice little message for you, but what is God saying to you in these moments? You're online, you're sitting in your home, or wherever you may be. What is God saying to you, speaking to your heart, right here in this room? I mean, isn't it amazing that God is big enough to talk to all of us anywhere all the time? Learning to, to pay attention to that. Is such an important thing. I've, I've had some really interesting conversations with people about the season of the church. Tracy and I were talking a little bit this morning about this. Um, and, and I think we're going ex- to explore this concept, <clears throat> what I'm about to say. And it has to do with a little of what I'll talk at the end of the service. But we focused a lot on the transition of where the church was to where the church is supposed to be. But God's really not trying to bring a focus of transition of where the church was to where the church is supposed to be, as good as that may sound, he's actually, instead of trying to bring transition, he's trying to bring transformation that makes us more of the people he's called us to be that actually prepares the church not for the now but for the future. Positioning us for what is ahead because God actually knows some of the things that are before us. So we need to pay attention and not just be open to a little bit of transition. We need to really ask the Lord, what transformation are you bringing? God wants to help us rethink some things from a completely different standpoint and perspective. And part of this has been the revelation of the table. This is about our personal ministry from the Lord, our personal ministry to people around us. This invitation to biblical hospitality. And it's so funny, the interesting conversations I've had with so many people about this particular uh, topic. I talked to a lot of pastors about this and um, a lot of reactions to some of the things that we've began to integrate and, and we're talking more and more about as we walk this out. But the interesting thing to me isn't really so much the pastors, it's, it's the um, just common conversations that I have with a variety of people. Because there are those, and I I hear it in the sound of their voice, I sense it in the heartbeat of the conversation, there are those that are genuinely, eagerly, authentically interested, what is God saying, and how can I allow my life to align to cooperate more readily with what God is doing? How many of you know that is a great place to be? But then there are conversations that I'm hearing from people, and Rather than saying, you know, how can I cooperate with what God is revealing, I hear this tone. Well, I do this, and I do that, and this is what I do, and this is what I do. And, I, and, and it's this sense of, uh, I understand, but don't try to change what's going on in my life because I've got my nice, neat, little 
uh, sacrificial expressions cut out, positioned in a way that it all lines up and all makes sense. I'm just saying to you, God's not trying to transition right now. God's trying to transform right now. And he wants us to see all of this from a completely different vantage point. And listen very carefully. It is going to cost you much to do what God is asking you to do in this next season of the church. Pastor, are you saying that I should lay my life down and give up all the things that I've worked to build as I step into a new season and discover the life God wants me to have? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying. It's a transformation into a new place of what God's desiring to do. And if we're not careful, we justify existing patterns of our lives rather than pay attention to what Jesus is trying to do in the moment that we're in. The love your neighbor loophole, Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Why was he having this conversation? He was testing Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? So Jesus is responding here. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. But he wanted to justify himself. He was looking for the love your neighbor loophole. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So I read this and thought, You know, the reality is, if I get to decide who I'm going to allow to be in the circle of my neighbor, then I get to decide who I want to love like I love myself, sacrificially making sacrifices to care about people in this circle. It is not that difficult to do when I get to define who those people are. The problem is you don't get to define who those people are. When you bought the house or lived and moved into the apartment that you're in, you did it because you wanted that house. God put you there because he knew the people that were going to live next door to you needed to know the love of Jesus Christ and the demonstration of his compassion in the way you walk before the Lord your God. Not just that. I'm not talking about trying to get out in your neighborhood and hand out gifts and things along those lines, but take a prayer walk. Begin to address the spiritual climate and the spiritual atmosphere. You may never have conversational entrance with a neighbor that exists in your neighborhood, but perhaps you're there to tear down strongholds that have held that person back from breaking into the kingdom of God. Who knows, but maybe the kingdom of God is supposed to break out in our neighborhoods as a result of our willingness to pray and intercede and fast and sacrificially devote ourselves to loving our neighbors. Come on, let's just agree for it. Let's call it in. Let's declare it. Revival, awakening, let it break out in the land, in the nation, Lord, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) 
The problem is, we, myself included, we tend, we're inclined to produce these reactions in moments in time where we assess our lives and then we take our doctrine and we lower our doctrine to our level of living because that's easier than doing what it takes to assess our doctrine and raise our level of living to our level of doctrine. How many of you know God wants us to raise our level of living to our level of doctrine, not the other way around? This man, like many of us, was looking for the loophole. And the Bible describes, and I'm really exploring this. I think that we'll probably venture into this in 2022 to comprehend it a little more. But the Bible talks about these carnal attitudes that can exist within us. No, I'm sorry. These carnal attitudes that do exist within us. How many of you are really good at reacting sometimes? Can I just get this again? These are carnal attitudes that the Lord's trying to address. It's revealing something. And so the Bible describes these carnal attitudes that exist within us and defines them as hostile against God. And the only way those things can be addressed is for you to be in a place of allowing the Lord to nourish your soul and your spirit in the word before the Lord. Here we are gathering together, asking the Lord, do a deep work within us. Lord, you're my, Jesus, you're my everything. That, that whole declaration, you know what we were singing there? You know what we were breaking into there? We were breaking into where other things have tried to creep into Jesus' throne and we were moving that aside saying, no, you're not going to have his throne. He's going to have his throne. Jesus, you are my everything. We're addressing hostilities that try and exist within us to, to take us off course from that which God is desiring for us to walk into. It's so important that we recognize this. Do you think you might have any carnal attitudes hiding quietly in there somewhere? Anybody here? Just point to somebody who might. Just point to them. Yeah, I, I was hoping you would do that. I was hoping you wouldn't do that. <laughs> hmm. if we're not careful we easily justify missing out on the power of the great commandment and like this lawyer in scripture we start looking for a loophole to justify the absence of sacrificial love as a lifestyle So we as Christians have this call from God to connect the public places of work and worship with the private space of home. We have this call from God. I, I was talking to somebody one time. Um, Tracy and I had met their, their family. <clears throat> I actually bumped into him on the golf course and uh, he found out they have a Bible study at their house. And so we went to their house for the Bible study. I mean, that's, uh, I'm curious to know. And so, like, I'd been in the, the person's home for the Bible study, and then I saw him again later, and we were having a conversation. And so, uh, I started asking questions, like, um, 
it, it was resembling to what do you think about this abortion law in Texas? You know, it was resembling that. that. That hadn't passed at that point in time, but it was kind of along those lines. And, and just asking questions about, you know, your faith and, and where your stance are on some of these very important issues that we, in a world that's questioning all these types of things, we really need to know where we stand. So I'm just imploring this because we've had a conversation of faith. I've been to a Bible study in his home, and this is what the guy said to me. He looked at me and he goes, Oh, you want to have a conversation about that part of our lives? And I thought maybe I was misunderstanding because like I've been to a Bible study in your home. I thought that part of our lives was open book now, but it's not. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about morality. This is the cancel culture society in which you and I live, and Jesus will have nothing to do with it. Your faith and your relationship with God is central to every area of your life. The Bible very clearly calls us to connect the public spaces of work and worship with the private space of home. But I'm going to tell you very carefully, very strategically, Please don't miss this point as well. We have had conversations through a bullhorn long enough as Christians, and we need to reel that in now to begin to have conversations around a coffee table. Don't come tell me you got fired from your job because you answer phones and you share Jesus with everybody who called in the office. You didn't get hired to share Jesus with everybody who calls into the office. You're not being persecuted. You're being ridiculous. And you need to be aware of what I'm talking to you about. There are The way you minister to people around you is you pray for them. You, you watch for grace. You follow favor. You sense a conversation and interaction that begins to open the door for a personal interaction. Stop using a bullhorn. Stop going into your office and announcing to everybody, the Christian is here. God is in the house. That is not the way you win the world. You win the world by loving them. It's not your job to change anybody. It's your job to love everybody and love them well and see what God might do in the circumstances in which you live. We are called by God, I want to say it again, to connect the public places of work and worship with the private space of home. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, 13, get into the practice of inviting guests home for dinner. This is the commission that we're reading about here that uh, we started with in Titus 3. I want you to stress these things. Let's pay attention, and I want to read these verses again that we started with. And I want you to think about these things. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. 
Now, I want to give you your commission today because we love God's presence. But we believe we are called by God to bring God's presence to real life. That's why at the end of a message, we don't just end with uh, the conclusion of an amen, altar call, but there's action. We need action in the church as well. And we'll get to a place where we're going to bring our hearts before the Lord in all of this. But the GP2RL is how we bring God's presence to real life, action point every week. And I want to ask you to do something kind and loving for a neighbor this week as your ministry to the Lord. I would suggest that you actually do something kind and loving for a neighbor that you have not yet done something kind and loving for, whatever that may look like. Find somebody that's not in your defined circle so that you're not just living in the loophole of love your neighbor for the neighbors or the people that you are most comfortable loving on. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I want to explain something <clears throat> as we step into a time of worship. There is a unique season that we have come into as a church. We've been exploring it. And to be honest with you, um, we've talked about this publicly in many respects, but we've, we've not given a lot of thorough, in-depth explanations because I think the big problem has been we come up with an idea, we develop a full plan, and we roll it all out, and we have all kinds of human ingenuity pushing that thing, and very little anointing because we just took it in our own hands away from the hands of the Lord. Transition, transformation. You'll all be taught by God. This is where we want to dwell. And so this whole idea of the table, there's a difference between the table and community groups in the scope of our church. And we need to communicate more and more uh, as we're exploring what this is. And I want to define a little bit of it today, but I want to just announce so that you're officially aware and you can begin praying. Some really unusual things have just all of a sudden started emerging. I'm actually going to fly to New York tomorrow morning. There is a, uh, the Destiny Table New York is launching. How cool is that? Uh, there are a group of families that we've been in relationship with now. Uh, one central family to this group that we've been in relationship for a number of years. And um, just, I can't go into all the explanation because it would just take too much time. But I mean, it's amazing how the Lord has knit our hearts together in amazing ways. And so uh, I'm going to spend just a couple of days there with these families, just walking through, working through what the Destiny Table in New York looks like. You know what's also crazy? I've had conversations within the last seven days <clears throat> with three other states that potentially will become the Destiny Table other states. What's happening is God is looking for a church family that's willing to understand the power of personal ministry. And we begin to mobilize people into a micro-expression of the love of Jesus and, and the table. The difference between the community group and the table, just for clarity's sake. Community groups are where we as a church family gather together and we focus in on specific areas, taking the service on Sunday and breaking it down a little further in the Bible study element or, or maybe uh, finance or marriage or anything, you know, that we are wanting to grow as disciples. That's a community group. The table, not everybody's called to lead the destiny table out of their own home. 
But the table is actually about you becoming an expression of ministry, reaching the people that you work with. And we're walking out how to effectively do this. And that's why we haven't said a lot about it because we've been walking out. We've got two tables in operation right now, working, four families, two tables that are taking place. And, and, and those two tables look absolutely different. And the goal, please hear this, this is so important. The goal in this is not to figure out the formula of what to do next and then give everybody the five steps and the ten keys and the eight strategies. And we're not wanting to duplicate success. We're wanting to multiply identity. And you are who God designed you to be. And your ministry expression should look like your ministry expression, not mine, not anybody else's. So we're working really hard to help people understand. What did Jesus say? He looked at Peter. He said, Peter, you are Peter. You, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You got a revelation from my Father in heaven. You're Peter. What was he saying? Revelation from the Father establishes you and your personal identity, and that's going to mobilize. And he said, on this rock, I'll build my church. We want to help people understand who they are, the people that God's entrusted to their care of their lives, how to pray for them, how to watch for that grace, how to follow favor. And you know, Pastor A.T. and Christian are stepping into, even today, we're starting this. It's going to be a max of 20 people. I believe we have 15 uh, that are ready now. So we have five seats. And if you feel a sense of, hey, I feel a sense of call to this, we would love to have a conversation with you. They would love to have a very specific conversation about how to do this right after service. Uh, second service, we're going to have just finger food, quick uh, connect and go right into this conversation. It'll go 1.30 to 3. Uh, I'm not trying to do a commercial with it. I'm just trying to help you understand. These, these are the things that we know. There are these steps and stages that we've worked with these other families and we've learned a lot. And you've heard us say, people that don't go to church have started to get saved. How cool is that? How many believe it's God's plan to win the world? For God so loved the world that he sent his son. I want you to know he's still sending sons and daughters into the world to win the lost. And some people have that evangelistic expression call on their lives. If you sense that and you feel this might be for you, we would love for you to be involved. Uh, and, and we're going to do another one in the beginning of the year if this one fills up and you're unable to do it. Whether you feel it's your call or you just want to learn more about it, we'd be happy for you to be a part of this. How many of you think God might be up to something that's a little more than transition, a little more like transformation? Come on, let's stand. I'm sure in many ways I've butchered all this up, you know. But isn't it crazy how God uses like the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? And so, I mean, I just I bring the best I can before the Lord. And then I just trust him to like make something out of it. That's all we're asking you to do. That's all he's asking any of us to do. Like we feel like we have to come up with this polished product. I don't know if you understand or not. It's the polished product that exists within the church that actually has started to be the distraction from the kingdom of God. So we're scaling off the polished product to try and understand more of the personal movement that God is wanting to awaken. And we don't have it all figured out. But he does. And we're going to keep praying, keep pursuing, keep walking it out. Remember when we used to pray into another service, another location, another service, another location. We went, many of us driving, praying, another service, another location. 
Destiny Table in New York is another service, another location. It's an expression of this church there. I, I just think the Lord had this in mind the whole time, and now we're starting to figure a little bit more of it out. You know in part, you're supposed to prophesy in part. Don't know in part and begin to prophesy in full, plan in full. You don't know in full, you only know in part. We are not wanting um, just a little bit of transition. We really want transformation. How many of you know God wants to bring real transformation in our hearts, personally in your heart? So I want to ask, would you join with me? We want to just respond to him. I want to just be sensitive to him in the way we wind things down. But would you just incline your heart toward him? Posture your hands however uh, you would posture your hands there is something about the way we posture ourselves physically. Sometimes when I'm praying in the mornings, I find myself with my arms crossed and I just think it's just a, an expression of almost um, disconnect. And I don't want that. And I'll, I'll many times just uncross my arms, just put my hands open just as an expression physically of where I want to be spiritually. So whatever that looks like for you, would you just respond to him right now? Lord Jesus, We're really doing what we know to do in response to your direction. And we just want to bring our hearts together as a family and say, Lord, would you just do whatever you desire to do? Not just in the expression of church, but we want to bring this down personally right now in each of our lives individually. Would you just do what you want to do in me? Would you just pray that prayer right now? Say it out loud. Lord, would you just do what you want to do in me? Just say it out loud. Lord, would you just do what you want to do in me? And maybe you're here, you're online, you're in this room, and you've not ever surrendered your life to Christ. Boy, this would be an important decision for you to make, the most important decision. This would be a great time. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I've just allowed myself to live in the loophole justifying my disconnection from maybe those that I find to be unlovable at times. I just want to surrender that to him. I would ask all of us, let's all bring our hearts to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you came, you lived, you died on this cross, but you're risen from the grave and you're awakening within us the very sacrificial nature of God that was demonstrated on the cross before us. You're the Savior of the world. We need you as our Savior. And the world around us needs to know the love and the life of Jesus. So we surrender to you. Come on, if that's your prayer, would you just say amen real loud? Jesus is Lord. Would you just say that out loud with me? Jesus is Lord. Father, we come to you and we invite you to take us deeper in a place of truly connecting with you and with each other as we walk out your will, plan, and purpose in Jesus' mighty name.